Welcome to the SYA podcast, giving you teachings from the young adult ministry of Shepherd Church, where it's our mission to lift up Christ that the world might believe. We have different gatherings throughout the month. For more info, go to wearesya.com and follow us on Instagram at wearesya. We are in part five of our uh, series, Deep Water. We, it's, it's been a really, I lo- I've loved this series. We've been looking at some stories in the Bible um, in the Old Testament and the New that connect or have a connection with faith, but something in the story has something to do with water. And tonight, our, um, our topic is uh, baptism is the beginning. So you see how it, it all connects and why we're, one of the reasons why we're doing baptisms uh, tonight. But honestly, we do, we do baptisms every week. If you've been coming to church here at Shepherd, you've, you saw one earlier uh, tonight. You see them almost uh, every week. So far um, this year, uh, Shepherd Church, we have baptized, um, well, before this past weekend, it was like 450 people, but then a little over 300 people got baptized this uh, last weekend, 50 tonight. So, I mean, you do the math. It's a lot of people that have already been baptized. And this happens, if you've been around, you know that there's numbers like that that get baptized every year here at Shepherd Church. And there's some reasons for that. And it feels weird right now anyway that I did this, that I put it on your handout, that I'm gonna tell you some of the reasons. Um, But I don't know, I already did it. So you're gonna fill in the blanks about why we baptize people a lot here at Shepherd Church. But uh, there are a few reasons why there are so many baptisms Every week here at Shepherd First is because the Bible instructs every believer in Jesus to be baptized. Now, I hope you already know this. I hope this is not news to you, but we are a church that has a high view of Scripture. We believe that it is from God, that it's divine, that it is, um, it's, the Scripture says about itself in Hebrews chapter 4 that it's alive and active. And so we constantly, we're encouraging one another. It's part of what we do every week here as we gather, but also in life groups and our relationships with each other. As believers, we constantly encourage each other to study from God's word, to be obedient to God's commands that are there in his word. And as we'll see, as we go through the sermon, scripture commands believers to be baptized. That's one of the reasons why we do a lot of baptisms. Another reason is because we are always excited and prepared to do baptisms. Like, it's right there, right? We have that. Oh, we got a fountain, man. Like, so if something goes wrong here, it's okay. We'll dunk you in a fountain, right? Uh, there's this great story in Acts chapter eight. Uh, I'm not gonna tell you the whole story, but I just wanna show you this one part. This disciple of Jesus named Philip meets this Ethiopian eunuch that worked for this queen. They have this really cool encounter. Philip shares the gospel with this uh, Ethiopian eunuch. And in Acts chapter eight, verse 36, here's what happens next. As they traveled along the road, they came to some water and Philip's already explained the gospel and baptism. And the eunuch says to Philip, look, there's water. What can stand in the way of my being baptized? And so it's why we have a baptismal right here. It's, why we, it's one of the reasons why we have a fountain. Like we are not only prepared, but we're excited here at Shepherd Church that when somebody trusts Jesus and puts their faith in Jesus for the first time, like we're ready. 
We're ready. If you're ready, we're ready and we're excited. We don't want anything to stand in anyone's way. And third reason why a lot of people get baptized at Shepherd Church is because baptism connects us to Jesus's death, burial, and resurrection. Romans chapter six, verses three through five, Paul asks this question. He says, don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus, we were baptized into his death. That word baptized, I'll teach you a little nerd thing real quick. There's, there's translations and then there's transliterations, okay? So when Paul wrote this, he wrote it in Greek, right? And then we translate it into English. But the word baptize is really a Greek word that we didn't really give it an English word. We just transliterate it. We change like one letter. It's like baptizo in Greek, baptize in English. So the word translated, it literally means to dunk under or immerse because it gives this picture of burial. Don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. Verse five, for if we have been united with him in a death like his, that's what baptism pictures, we will certainly also be united with him in a resurrection like his. That's like the great news of the good news. 2,000 years ago, Jesus became a human being to identify with us. Like he, he took on human flesh, human skin, became like us in every way, tempted in every way, just as we are, Hebrews 4 says, yet he did not sin. And then he died on a cross for our sins. He was buried, literally, and then literally. After dying, literally, he rose from the dead. He came back to life, all so that you and I could be forgiven of our sins and be made right with God. That is, that's, that's what the gospel is. The word gospel just means good news. And that's the good news. And through our baptism, we connect and identify with what Christ did. It's a picture of death, burial, and resurrection symbolizing our new life. So there's a few reasons why we do so many baptisms every year as a, as a Bible-believing church. And so this leads me into our three main points. Point number one, only Jesus brings new life. We're talking about baptism. We're talking about baptism is the beginning. And only Jesus brings new life. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. I want to read... This one from the New King James Version. That's my favorite version for this verse. It says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, they are a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold. That's why I like the New King James Version on this one. Like it uses behold. Behold, all things have become new. In Christ, everything changes. There's a story I read about a, a drunk uh, he wasn't just drunk this one night. He was an alcoholic. He was a drunk, lived in New York City, but he had this miraculous conversion at the Bowery Mission. And before, his, his name was Joe, or is Joe. And before Christ, Joe had lived a miserable, drunken existence on the streets of New York. But after his new life in Christ, everything changed. He had this miraculous conversion he began to serve at the mission and he became, Joe had this reputation of serving everyone with a smile, always had the joy of the Lord and there was no task that was too small for him. He would do anything, whether it was cleaning up vomit 
or cleaning the toilets or making up the beds. And he was so kind to, to the different men that would come in off the streets, often high, often drunk. And they were looking for some food. Joe would help him get food. They were looking for a warm place to, to sleep. He would make up their bed for them in the bunkhouse at night. And one evening when the director of the mission there was preaching to the usual crowd of gloomy men with drooped heads, there was one man who looked up during the preaching as the director preached. And the man came down the aisle to the altar on his knees and this this repentant drunk kept shouting, oh God, make me like Joe. Lord, God, make me like Joe. Oh God, make me like Joe. To which finally the director, a little bit uncomfortable, kind of leaned over and said quietly to, to to the man, he said, hey, don't you think it'd be better to pray make me like Jesus, to which the, the drunk man, kind of confused, puzzled, looked up at the director and said, well, is Jesus like Joe? And only Jesus brings new life, but that story is a good reminder that the people in our world are often introduced to us before they're introduced to Jesus. And the question is, is do you look like Jesus? Only Jesus brings new life. And then letter A there on your outline, repentance and baptism is the intertwining of faith and water. Faith and water. In Acts chapter two, verse 38, Peter, one of the first disciples of Jesus, he just got done in Acts chapter two, preaching the very first Christian sermon. This is after Jesus has died He's resurrected. He spent 40 days with his first followers, and then he ascended into heaven to be with the Lord or to to be with God. And Peter preaches to like several thousand people, and he preaches the gospel. And all these people that were gathered, they asked Peter and the other disciples, okay, because of what you just said, what should we do? And in Acts chapter 2, verse 38, Peter replied to the people, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Christ Jesus, for the forgiveness of your sins. And then you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. This word repentance or repent, it literally means to turn or to change the way you think and therefore the way that you live. It's more than feeling sorry. It's living out your belief and your trust in the person of Jesus. It's why Luke chapter three, verses three through eight, it says about John the Baptist. It says, then John the Baptist, he went from place to place, preaching that people should be baptized to show that they had repented of their sins and turned to God to be forgiven. And then in verse eight, it says, prove by the way you live that you have repented of your sins and turned to God. So baptism, it's an act of faith. It's like an immediate way, an immediate expression of obedience to Jesus. Trusting that like a watery grave, your sins, because of your faith in Christ, your sins have been washed away. They've been buried. You're trusting that your old life is dead. And through the power of Christ's resurrection, that you now have a new life in him. Doesn't mean everything gets perfect but you're now made new. Only Jesus brings new life. And repentance and baptism is the intertwining of faith 
and water. And the next, only Jesus brings new life. And part of what happens is it results in your sins being washed away and receiving the Holy Spirit. Receiving the Holy Spirit. It's what Peter said. Repent and be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins and the gift of the Holy Spirit. This is the hallmark of our new life in Christ. Forgiveness and the Spirit of God coming alongside of us and inside of us. Baptism is a physical act of obedience, but it represents something greater, a greater reality of what is taking place in your heart and in your soul because of your faith, because of your trust in Jesus, in who he is and what he did. And the Holy Spirit, the scriptures say, he comes to us as a gift within this greater reality of faith. In the New Testament, it teaches and it shows us, especially in the book of Acts, that, that the Holy Spirit comes alongside of the believer to do a lot of different things. And I just want to give you a snapshot. This is like a super short job description of the Holy Spirit that the New Testament describes. John chapter 16, that the Spirit is our advocate who also convicts us. He convicts us of sin. Titus chapter three says, the spirit of God renews, right? Like, and only Jesus brings new life and the Holy Spirit's the one that ushers in that new life. He renews. Second Corinthians chapter one, the spirit puts a seal, a stamp on us, identifying us as gods and as a deposit, guaranteeing what is to come. There's new life now. And this is like a a deposit, a promise of the new life that is to come forever. Romans chapter five, the spirit of God fills our hearts with God's love. Acts chapter nine, the spirit encourages and builds us up. And and, and finally, in my little short snapshot, Galatians five, the spirit guides the life of a believer. The Holy Spirit is like, it's like a, a power cord for our spiritual lives. The spirit of God plugs us in to our relationship with God. The spirit empowers us to live out our genuine faith. So only Jesus brings new life. That's point number one. Point number two, most people desire a new life. Most people desire a new life. Letter A, because nothing in this world satisfies. We're all striving. We're all wanting more. But nothing in this world fully satisfies. This is the theme of the Old Testament book, Ecclesiastes. Ecclesiastes was the first full book of the Bible that I read after I came to the Lord. Someone suggested it. I respected this person, so I read it. Um, Ecclesiastes, it's, it's all from King Solomon. Solomon was the, one of the sons of King David, right? David and Goliath. And Solomon was a philosopher. He was a king. Um, he had like a lot of relationships, if you know his whole story. And the theme of Ecclesiastes is basically Solomon saying, listen, I've done it all. I've thought about it all, right? And everything is meaningless, right? So super uplifting, right? Go read it. It's great. But he says, everything's meaningless. But he says more than that. Ecclesiastes chapter one, he says, everything is wearisome beyond description. No matter how much we see, we're never satisfied. No matter how much we hear, we aren't content. Everyone's toil is for their mouth, yet their appetite is never satisfied. 
In Ecclesiastes chapter 12, verse 13, he concludes this whole, like everything's meaningless. Everyone's seeking after, you know, all these different things to satisfy them, but nothing satisfies. And then he says, at the end, he says, that's everything. So here's the conclusion. Fear God, revere God, and obey his commands, for this is everyone's duty. It's like we have this void in every human heart. As a matter of fact, Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verse 11 says, God put eternity into the hearts of human beings, but no one fully understands and grasps what God has done. It's like we have this void, this eternal void that can only be filled by God himself. So most people desire a new life because nothing in this world satisfied. And let her be, only the Lord satisfies. Only God can truly satisfy his creation. Acts chapter 17, verse 24, Paul is preaching in Athens. So like a highly intellectual place in the ancient world. And part of what he says is this. He, God, he is the God who made the world and everything in it. Since he is the Lord of heaven and earth, he doesn't live in man-made temples and human hands can't serve God's needs for he has no needs. He himself gives life and breath to everything. He satisfies every need. We, you and I, as human beings, we run after all kinds of pleasures trying to gratify, but we're never fully satisfied. The older we get, the more we just kind of agree with that. We understand this. And, and the reason for that is because we weren't made for our cravings. We were made for our creator. C.S. Lewis, who I like to call the 13th apostle because I'm not really saying he was an apostle, but you know, he just gets like quoted almost as much as the, as the original apostles in the New Testament. But he wrote a book called Mere Christianity. And here's just a portion of that. He says this, creatures are not born with desires unless satisfaction for those desires exists. A baby feels hunger. Well, there's such a thing as food. A duckling wants to swim. Well, there's such a thing as water. People feel sexual desire. Well, there's such a thing as sex. If I find in myself, Lewis writes, a desire which no experience in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that I was made for another world. Often we come to the end of our rope as we're seeking out these cravings, this, like I have this need, and I'm not just talking about the cravings of the flesh. I mean, the deeper cravings of our spirit and our soul. Only God can satisfy because he is who we were made for. Our souls strive for more. And so Jesus says in Matthew 11, verse 28, he says, come to me, all of you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. I don't have it on the screen, but he goes on in the next verse and says, because I am gentle and humble in heart, and in me you will find rest for your souls. And here's point number three. Baptism is the beginning of a new life. It's the beginning. You know, that's the sermon title, because a lot of times people can see that as like the end. They've been on this journey without God, and now they've found God, they found Christ, they've been baptized. But people also get confused about when to be baptized. Sometimes people will say things like, you know, I'm not ready because I just don't know enough. 
I don't know enough about the Bible. I need to get my life right. That's what I've heard people say for years, right? I need to get my life right versus seeing that as the, the beginning moment of getting their life right, of God, of Christ making our lives right. So turn with me to Acts chapter 16. Acts chapter 16 is the, is the story I want to land on. The story tells about, starting in verse 16, it tells about Paul, the, the great apostle who wrote like a third of the New Testament, and one of his young companions named Silas, who I named one of our sons after, Silas. It means man of the woods. Paul and Silas, two of the first Christian missionaries. Uh, Acts 16, it tells us of how they healed this demon-possessed slave girl. So they're out in the city. They're, they're there in Philippi, a city named Philippi, and there's a slave girl, and she's following them around, and they find out that she's demon-possessed, and her master knows this, and whatever evil power she has in her enables her to tell fortunes. And, that's, and the master uses her to make money. And so when Paul and Silas, in the name of Jesus, heal this little girl, and the demon leaves, she can no longer do this like black magic. And so the master is mad, and he's influential in that town, and he gets Paul and Silas arrested. And they're thrown into a prison. It's a rat-infested prison there in Philippi. We find out it's midnight. They've been beaten, and they're surrounded by the smells and cries of imprisoned and dying men. So the question is, before we read, what do you think they're doing? How do you think they're feeling, Paul and Silas? They're praising. Verse 25, about midnight, Paul and Silas, they were praying and singing hymns to God. And I love this part. The other prisoners were listening to them. Of course they were, right? Because people pay attention to how believers genuinely respond to suffering. Not how we dismiss it with neat little, you know, Christian cliches, not how we ignore it, but how we genuinely respond to it. Verse 26, suddenly there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken. And at once all of the prison doors flew open and everyone's chains came loose. The jailer woke up and when he saw the prison doors open, he drew his sword and he was about to kill himself because he thought the prisoners had escaped. Now, this is wild to us, but a pagan ancient jailer back then, this was somewhat logical to do this. It was also considered honorable because like he would have been killed for these prisoners escaping because he's in charge and as to dishonor him and to send his family into the afterlife with him in their pagan world, they would kill the family as well. But in their Twisted way of thinking, if he kills himself, that would spare his family. So that's what's going on in the context of this ancient world. He's about ready to kill himself because he thinks the doors are open, big earthquake, prisoners obviously escaped, verse 28. But Paul shouted to the jailer, don't harm yourself. We are all still here. And I want you to think about the influence that Paul clearly had in this prison. Because he's not just like, you know, hey, yo, Silas, we gotta, we gotta stay Right? We got to do something for the Lord. He gets all these other prisoners who are not Christians to stay. That's leadership. Verse 29, the jailer called for the lights. He 
He rushed in, he fell trembling before Paul and Silas. He then brought them out and asked, sirs, what must I do to be saved? And I don't think he means salvation the way most of us think about it, but something like that, because he clearly saw that Paul and Silas, he probably heard them singing as well. And he's asking, what do I do? And in verse 31, they replied, believe in the Lord Jesus and you'll be saved, you and your household. Then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all the others in his house. At that hour of the night, the jailer took them and washed their wounds. Remember, they'd been beaten. Then immediately, he, the jailer, and his household were baptized. The jailer brought them into his house and set, he, his house was like connected to the jail. And he set a meal before him, before them. And he was filled with joy, filled with joy, because he had come to believe in God, he and his whole household. Back in verse 34, he was ready to commit suicide. Now he's filled with joy because that's what actual new life in Christ looks like. And that's how fast it can happen. The book of Acts chronicles the first 30 years of the church. Right after Jesus resurrects from the dead, spends 40 days with his followers, ascends back into heaven, and then Acts from chapter one all the way through the end is the first 30 years of the early church. And every time that Acts tells of a conversion, they are immediately baptized. Not let me learn more about Bible doctrine. Like what did this jailer know? He was a pagan, wasn't it? He, he, he didn't come from the Jewish world that led kind of, you know, where the gospel came from through, the, through Christ. Not let me learn more about Bible doctrine or get more spiritual or pray more, but here's what, here's what was needed. Here was the prerequisite. I believe and trust that Jesus is who he claimed. And I'm gonna express that trust through baptism. Like once I hear about baptism, that's it. And they were immediately baptized. And then new life happens. Not that all sinful habits just like vanish, right? And cease to exist. But the Holy Spirit comes alongside of the new believer to, to guide, to advocate, to encourage, to build up, to convict of sin. Baptism is the beginning. And in letter A on your handout, the critical hour is this hour. Second Corinthians chapter six, verse two, for God says, uh, quoting from the old Testament where God speaks here at just the right time, I heard you on the day of salvation. I helped you. And then Paul says, indeed, the right time is now today is the day of salvation. Some of you have believed in Christ for years, but you've never been baptized. And I don't know the reasons why. I'm not judging that. Maybe you were taught something different. Maybe you weren't shown kind of a progression through the New Testament and you didn't see that. But if you believed but aren't baptized, no one here at Shepherd Church is saying that you're not saved, right? Only Jesus saves. It's not like the water does something magical. But what we are saying is that if you believe but you're not baptized, like just that progression is not finished, biblically speaking, because the scriptures command an immediate baptism. And again, it doesn't like leave you out if you didn't obey that or you didn't know that, but here's the good news. If you didn't know that, now you do. My old neighbor, Mike, years ago, when we first moved to Simi Valley, almost 20 years ago, in the apartments we lived in, 
Got to know Mike, uh, built a friendship with his family, our family, and I, my wife and I both, we'd shared the Lord, you know, for quite a while. And one night, we, it was one of those, like, the garage was, like, attached, like, you pull in the garage, the door shuts, and I can go into the kitchen. And I pulled into the garage late at night, and I was on my phone. And I, you know, car's off, I'm in the garage, and, you know, I hit the, the garage door, and it's going down. But Mike had slipped under, he wanted to talk to me, but I didn't know. And I turn and I see somebody and I scream, you know, I scream like a man, ah! right? Because it's kind of an insult. I scream like a girl and no, I scream like a man. Some of you girls wouldn't have been as afraid as I was. And it's Mike and he's got tears in his eyes, which was new because Mike was always joking, you know, always silly. And long story short, he basically had been reading the scriptures, reading some stuff we talked about. And he said, I'm ready. I believe. So what do we do? And I'm like, baptism, man. I'll baptize. How do we do that? We got to do it at the church. No, we can do it. Like we had the little community pool for the apartments. It's late at night. Like nobody's there. I'm like, we can do it there. Now, Mike had this like borderline OCD about public pools. Like they just totally grossed him out. But he's like, and I'm like, well, I could do it in the bathtub. I kind of have a history of that. Right. And he's like, no, let's do it at the pool. And so we went and I'll never forget standing in the water. It's just him and I. And before I baptized, baptized him, I said, why don't, why don't you pray? Why don't you, instead of me praying, why don't you pray? I never prayed out loud in front of anybody. It's fine. And if you don't want to say it out loud, you don't have to, but it's just talking to God. There's no, and it's his prayer out loud was so raw, so genuine, so beautiful. And that critical hour was that hour. Let's do it now. And then B, and most important, the, all of this comes from Jesus. Jesus' last words in the gospel of Matthew, Matthew 28, verses 18 through 20, he said to his disciples, well, it says, then Jesus came to his disciples and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. I want you to pay attention to the order. Go. Make disciples, that means students. There's an implication there that as you make disciples, that the disciple, the student, understands that Jesus is Lord. Then baptize them, then teach them everything Jesus has commanded. I baptized, I've told this story a lot. Here's the shortened version. I baptized this coworker years ago at this sports bar I worked at, putting my way through Bible college. I'd shared the Lord with him for about a year with Jamie. And one night we were closing together, just he and I, and, and, and I walked through the gospel because that, he was ready. And I walked through the gospel and, and similar to the Ethiopian eunuch, he's like, I believe all this. So what, like, shouldn't I be baptized? I'm like, yeah. So we went to a river. I baptized him in the middle of a lightning storm, right? We both survived. And when he came up out of the water, we were talking and he said, does the Bible really teach that you're not supposed to have sex until you're married? You're like, you've been sharing the Lord for a year with him. You didn't say that? No, totally. Because I'm going through the, I'm going, making disciple of Jesus, right? A student of Jesus. Baptism, then teaching everything. Because he didn't need necessarily, uh, he wasn't not saved because he wasn't living well. He wasn't not saved because he didn't know Jesus. So that's where my priority was. But I told him the truth. Yeah, the Bible does teach that. He was living with his girlfriend. A few weeks later, he moved his girlfriend out. Some months later, they got married, right? Go, make students of Jesus. Baptize them, teach them everything he commanded. 
Each of us, here's the last two points, each of us should be going into the world to share the gospel. I love this story. Soren Kierkegaard, the philosopher from, from hundred and some years ago, he told a story about a circus that caught fire. Flames spread to the fields surrounding the circus grounds, and then it began to make its way to the village. And so the, the, the ringmaster of the circus, he gathered up all the, he was afraid the fire was going to end up, you know, getting into the village and killing people if they didn't know about it. So he asked for one of the volunteers from his circus family to go and to warn the people. And the clown, fully dressed in, in his clown costume, got on his bike and took off for the village. And as he went into the village, he began shouting, there's a fire coming, there's a fire coming. Everyone run so that you'll be saved. Everyone run so that you'll be saved. And curious villagers came out from their houses and shops and they stood along the sidewalks. And they began shouting back to the clown and clapping and applauding and laughing about his performance. And the more desperate the clown shouted, the more the people laughed and applauded. And the village was burned. And the loss of life was great because no one took the clown serious because after all, he was just a clown. Pastors and ministry staff were a little bit like, like clowns to a lot of people. We have a role in the church. And I, I hope that we have just a, it's not our role as pastors and our neighbors and our neighborhoods and our families, we're just people, but... But often people in our world, they don't hear or pay attention to us. We're more like clowns. They don't know us. Some of them don't trust us because of our role, because of the title pastor or I work at a church. But your neighbors, your coworkers, your friends and family, they know you. And some of you are like, no, they think I'm a clown too. Well, all right. It might be another conversation. But they know you. And I hope they trust you. But how can we expect the people in our world to take the gospel serious if we don't? How can we expect them to take the gospel, the good news of Jesus serious if we're unwilling to share it? And so each of us should be going into our world and sharing the good news of Jesus. For no other reason, if for no other reason, because Jesus commanded it. And finally, last point, each of us should be baptized into his name because he asked for it, he commanded it, and because it's beautiful, and it's the beginning, and it's the picture of our spiritual death, burial, sins washed away, raised to walk a new life in Christ. I was baptized at three in the morning in a bathtub, half sober but believing. And I went to Bible college a year later and someone asked me there if I believed the way they said it. I'd never heard this phrase at this point yet. They said, they asked me, do you believe that the Bible is the inerrant, inspired word of God? I said, I don't know what you're talking about and I don't care, right? Because I hadn't, I hadn't heard about that yet. I I couldn't have explained the Trinity then. I can explain it now, still don't understand it, okay? But like, my point is, when I gave my life to Christ at 18, I believed in Jesus. And I found out about his command to be baptized, so I was. Everything else 
came later over the last 30 plus years. And it's still going, just like with you. I'm still learning the commands of Jesus to live them out. And if you believe that Jesus is God's son who came to save you, if you have a desire to, for the first time, put your trust in him, to become his student, to be baptized, and to obey him as Lord, then you can start the beginning today. If you've never been baptized, you can be baptized today. I'm gonna ask you to stand wherever you are. I wanna explain what we're gonna actually go do next. So about 50 of you have already registered. You've already made this plan to be baptized tonight. But if you're not one of those 50, it's not like you're out. Like, listen, like I, we're ready, we're excited, always. So if you'd like to be baptized tonight, whether you're one of the 50 or you're making the decision like right now, after I pray and say amen and we're dismissed, you're gonna go right out here outside the main doors, right in between pillars, there's a table out there where you will check in. And they're gonna give you your name tag if you're already registered. And if, if, you're, if you're doing it new, they'll make you a name tag. You get your name tag, a towel, and a t-shirt. And then they'll point you to where there are some changing stations over that way by the fountain, the heated fountain. Amen. And then you'll, after you change, you'll get in the baptism line. I'll be over there. You know, eventually I'll hustle back and change. I'll be over there along with Adri, Ruby, and, and Derek. And we got a churro man out there for like an hour of free churros, right? Like, because it's baptism, so let's party. And so we'd love for all of you to stay. But listen, <clears throat> before I pray, if the Lord has stirred in your heart for the first time tonight, and you've never been baptized, but you believe, and maybe you were thinking, why well, I just, I gotta learn more. Like, look, I was barely sober and I was just a punk kid, but I had something wild happen and Jesus came to my rescue. I was baptized and that was the beginning of Jesus ruining my life in the most beautiful way. And I wouldn't have missed it for anything. I don't want you to miss it. So if the Lord is stirring in your heart and maybe there's some questions, that's cool. That's totally fair, by the way. Maybe there's some questions. We'll also have uh, our decision counselors that are usually right over here. They'll be out there at the fountain as well. And so if you just want to talk, if you've got some questions before you make that decision, fair enough, fair enough. But if the Lord's moving, listen, just obey that. Just do the next step, whether that's questions or like, yo, I'm ready. I want to get baptized. All right, let me pray. And then we'll, uh, we'll go party with some baptisms. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, man, it's so fun, Lord, to be in your kingdom. Man, 50 people and probably more are tonight being buried in that watery grave of baptism. And Lord, I, even though it was a long time ago, I remember, I remember that, that old bathtub upstairs in our house. And I remember I had that stupid Tasmanian devil necklace on that I thought was so cool. And my dad started to take it off and I was like, no, Pop, Leave it on. All the sin and depravity that I had done in my young life, I had that necklace on. And for me, it was the symbol of it all being washed away. Lord, I don't know what the journey is 
for my friends that are being baptized tonight or for the man or woman who just in the last few moments have said, Lord, I wanna give my life to you. I trust you and I wanna be baptized. I wanna express that in obedience. Whatever their journey is up to this point, Lord, I'm so excited, Lord, that we as a church family get to be a part of that, that we get to like officially welcome them into the kingdom, that this water doesn't save them. Jesus, you save them. But it's this beautiful picture. It's like, a, it's like my wedding ring. I can take it off, but I'm still married and committed to Amy Frizzell. And Jesus, this, this water is this beautiful ceremony, this beautiful picture of sins buried and washed away. And the Spirit of God coming alive in us as we rise to this new life. And sometimes that new life is like, is like turmoil. It's difficult. We're learning to walk, we're learning to run, and we trip a lot. But your Spirit is there to guide us. So Lord, whatever the journey has been for these friends tonight, I pray that they are filled with joy. Like, like that guy Joe in New York City. They're filled with joy because they know they are loved by you. The goodness of God. Lord, thank you. I pray over this time outside as we get to celebrate and do this as a church. And I pray this all in the great and powerful and good name of Jesus. And everyone said, amen, amen. Love you all. See you outside. Thanks for listening to the SYA podcast. Be sure to connect with us on Instagram at wearesya.